Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Not all religious liberty issues make the front page or make the news that you hear about. There's an awful lot of hard work behind the scenes, and one of the guys doing that hard work is my guest today, Tim Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership, online at firstamendmentpartnership.org, spelled with the numeral 1ST. FirstAmendmentPartnership.org. Tim, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Great to be with you as always, Alan. And I know your focus has been on state legislative activities. Right. Uh, give us a rundown of uh, what kinds of activities uh, have been involved with religious freedom at the state level this past year. Well, Alan, uh, when most people hear about religious freedom in the states the last few years, they've heard uh, about some of these national controversies. Uh, surrounding uh, state religious freedom restoration acts uh, in states like uh, Indiana. The year before that, there was a big controversy about Arizona. As you know, I think we met uh, advocating for a law like that in Nevada a few years ago. And right. I think now uh, those laws, uh, politically, they're, they're more difficult to pass than all they're valuable. So we've really focused on uh, a cluster of different types of, of legislation. Um, the first is... Um, it's very important for religious groups on college campuses to be able to select their own leaders. And, of course, this is a right that's been very much in doubt after a 2010 Supreme Court decision called Christian Legal Society versus Martinez. Um, and now this year, Kansas became the ninth state to enact a law responding to that bad Supreme Court decision that guarantees religious groups on campuses, Seventh-day Adventist, Catholic, uh, you know, Muslim, anything, the right to use religious criteria in selecting their own leaders. They don't have to worry about being kicked off of campus. So that's one. Um, another kind of legislation is legislation that protects religious uh, action in the context of LGBT rights and, and the advent of same-sex marriage. And so this last year, uh, Michigan uh, passed a law protecting adoption agencies uh, from any retaliation for adoption agencies' faith-based child placement practices. But we also think that uh, there is a real opportunity uh, based upon the so-called Utah Compromise to pass laws that do both protect uh, LGBT rights and religious freedom um, alongside each other, and that that is something that we have worked on. That a lot of other states, I think the payoff of those is going to be a little bit of a longer tail than some legislation is, um, but that's been another priority. And then the last thing, Alan, which your, your listeners uh, might care about because it's coming right up, is Blaine amendments are part of the state constitutions in over 30 states. Uh, they were enacted in the late 19th century um, under a congressional leader named James Blaine. Uh, they were bigoted against Catholics. They, they limit the, the rights of religious institutions to receive money on an equal basis with other secular nonprofits. Um, and, and there is a, right now a ballot initiative in Oklahoma uh, to repeal their Blaine Amendment. They would be the first state in the union ever to do that. Um, and that is a worthy cause as well. So those have been the three uh, sort of major categories in which we've been active this last year. I think I counted four, but uh, oh, maybe I, I might be the one who's off. Uh, I, I've been accused of that before. 
<laughs> well, math was never my strong suit, so I, I may be the one who's off. So, you know, thinking about these adoption agencies, I know that the Catholic Church has had to close adoption agencies in several places around the country. That's right. Um, so is Michigan now the only state that has specific protections that um, for faith-based adoption agencies? So uh, Virginia passed a law like that a few years ago um, as well. Um, and Rhode Island passed a law at, when they enacted same-sex marriage. Rhode Island specifically protected adoption agencies as well. So three states have, have a kind of specific protection. Um, and I think, you know, part of the reason states haven't, more states haven't passed these is they don't necessarily see the threat yet. They don't see a kind of imminent threat. And so, as you know, legislatures lots of times don't act until they feel like there's something of a crisis Sure, uh, but but I do think that you know more states are likely to to do this, and, and I and I think states are frankly likely to do this part of a compromise in many cases. I think, and I, I can say I've been in lots of rooms with uh, with very pro LGBT rights lawmakers who are very happy to vote to protect adoption agencies if you're also voting to ban you know workplace discrimination against gays and lesbians. Uh, they're they're less willing to vote for a law like that when it's a law that's a standalone law that only protects religious rights. Uh, without doing anything for the LGBT community. so Now, just so we're clear, do the adoption agencies give faith-based, or I should say the laws, give faith-based adoption agencies the right to, uh, say, discriminate on the basis of religion and say, well, okay, we're Protestant, we're going to place children only in Protestant homes, or you know, maybe it's Baptist, only in Baptist homes, or Catholic homes only in Catholic homes, that sort of thing. Usually what, what, the, two, what the two state laws that have standalone laws have done is just said that the, these agencies are, are essentially where they, that nothing in the new law about marriage is going to change the status of same-sex marriage, that is, is going to change the rights of adoption agencies to place, uh, to place children consistent with their own internal definition of the family. So this is, you know, really this is in response to the, to the cases that you mentioned. It's in response to Massachusetts and Illinois and the District of Columbia going after adoption agencies because they would not, in some cases, uh, place children with same-sex couples. And in, in fairness, lots of these adoption agencies, for similar religious reasons, won't place children with single people either. They, they only adopt to a married mother and father. Um, and uh, and they want to be able to continue to do that without facing any, you know, being discriminated against for that. Sure. And, you know, I, I mean, this begs a much larger question, which is um, whether uh, placing children in same-sex households is better than the alternative, not placing them at all. Right. Um, but maybe that's not the choice. But that's more of a a theological discussion for somebody else's radio show, I'm afraid. Well, I think it's a, a fair thing to raise because, Alan, you know, it is legal for gay people to adopt in every state in the union now. There is no state that prohibits uh, a gay people from adopting a child. Um, and, and I think that the question is, we have a multiplicity of adoption agencies in the country. There's no place where gay couples face legal or real practical barriers to adopting children. But we do know that there are some adoption agencies that are religious in nature and that do really great work that everybody acknowledges is excellent, top-shelf work. And the question is, do we want those agencies to go away? 
because they haven't gotten in line with the new view of marriage. That's really the question. And I think most fair-minded Americans say, no, we want those agencies. We want a diversity of options, and we want them to continue to be able to place children in homes because we have an orphan crisis, and we need all hands on deck. Well, I'm glad you put it that way because I, I think it's so important and leading into the next topic, which has to do with the Utah Compromise and, and pursuing both religious freedom and LGBT rights together, it's so important for the faith community to let go of the vestiges of uh, discriminatory attitudes and hostility towards, uh, towards gays. I agree. I mean, I think, you know, Alan, we run in a lot of the same circles, and I think we know that privately, uh, especially, but lots of times publicly, too, um, you know, religious freedom advocates, even those that are very conservative theologically, will say it's wrong to fire somebody for being gay. It's just wrong. Right. And even though that doesn't happen a lot, it happens. As you know, you're, you're, you're in the field of, uh, you know, you're a civil rights lawyer. You know this happens. And it shouldn't happen, and it, and it should be illegal when it happens. And I think most Americans think that. And the question is, if there are folks who, who really believe in both things, religious liberty and protecting gay people uh, from unjust discrimination, can people of goodwill come together and find agreement, can find common ground? And I think that is possible. Uh, of course, there are interest groups on both the right and the left who would prefer that not happen because they've uh, you know, they have kind of bought in that this is a zero-sum conflict, that this is a, just a total war, and uh, that's the whole way they see the issue, and they're not, they're not willing to grant, quote, the other side any legitimacy at all by admitting that some of the things they say are actually true. So let me up the ante a little bit for the Christian community, for our listeners, yeah. because when we think of adding sexual orientation to the non-discrimination laws, we think about pr that it's going to protect somebody else, and we don't realize how that may protect us. Right. We have seen cases here in California, not only, and by the way, it is fairly common. There's lots of employment discrimination against people on the basis of sexual orientation against people who are gay or lesbian. Right. But conversely, I have also screened cases where straight people, married people, are discriminated against by gay managers. That's right. It goes both ways. That's right. So when we protect sexual orientation, everybody has a sexual orientation. <laughs> right. That's right. And I, and I think it's, it's also just the idea, Alan, that, that you know very well from you know, your, your history of advocacy for religious minorities and for, you know, for Seventh-day Adventists and others who have been discriminated against in the workplace that, you know, the laws that protect us from religious discrimination protect a lot of theological views that we don't agree with, right? Sure. I mean, there are lots of people who don't have my religion who are protected from discrimination for, based on theological views they hold that are totally anathema to me, okay? But by protecting them in the law, I'm also protecting myself and those like me who hold the theological views I have. So and I think that's the whole point of anti-discrimination laws, that you, you protect a lot of views and, and things that you may not agree with, especially in the case of religion. But you do that as part of a kind of shared bargain that we're just this, these are irrelevant characteristics to most kinds of work. And we are not going to cause somebody the catastrophe of losing their job because of uh, an irrelevant characteristic like that. 
There's an underlying premise here, I think, that America's based on, and that is the idea that people with all of their differences of values and beliefs live together in peace, and we all have our rights respected. That's right. And that is, you know, to me, the primary American value that we try to convey to the rest of the world. And when we fail and, uh, you know, violate our own values, we uh, compromise our influence on human rights abroad. Totally agree, too. Absolutely right. So we just have a moment left. Where are the key states where you're working and your organization is working on developing this compromise between religious freedom and LGBT rights? You know, I think that you want to watch for states like Michigan, states like Idaho, uh, some states like that, uh, Arizona in the coming you know, year, year and a half. Um, but really, I think that it, it, the list of states is actually about 20 deep because there's you know, there's lots of states that uh, that over time I think this is going to you know prove to be a solution. Well, I certainly hope so. I think Utah was a marvelous development, and I'd like to see more states balancing LGBT rights and religious freedom both. Amen. Our guest today, Tim Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership, on the web at firstamendmentpartnership.org, spelled with the number one. Tim, a pleasure as always to have you on Freedom's Ring. Thanks, Alan. Great to be with you. Bye-bye. And our topic has been state efforts on religious freedom. As we close... We want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination, especially in employment. So do check out our legal resources page at www.churchstate.org. That's churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, on the web at religiousliberty.info. And check out Freedom's Ring on SoundCloud, our SoundCloud radio station. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>